Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name's Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I talk to Amelia Gardner. We just kind of catch up. This is a wide-ranging conversation, and if you haven't listened to the first episode, the first interview I did with Amelia, you should check it out. We'll put a link in the show notes here, but she's a full-time YouTuber, blogger, and podcaster, so she actually has a couple YouTube channels. One of them is only dedicated, is dedicated to live streaming, and so you'll only find the live streams there, and we talk about why she decided to do that. Her podcast is called Fail Forward, and she interviews a lot of people, and I think she took a little hiatus, which we talk about a bit here, but she's going to be publishing more episodes. Now, don't worry if you do want to check it out. There are many episodes out there already, something like 46, it looks like, as I'm checking out the uh, the page here, but the point is, if you want to hear more from Amelia, you can go to YouTube catch her live streams, watch some of her existing videos, or if you like podcasts, which you're listening to this, so you must like podcasts a little bit, you can you can check out Fail Forward. It's a pretty long interview for today, so I'm not going to ramble on too much, but I need to plug the new podcast that I am doing with my friend Carl Jensen from 1500days.com. It's about personal finance and financial independence. We don't really get into the topics that we talk about on this show, which is SEO and affiliate marketing and all that kind of stuff. So this is a new one. It's called Mile High Fi, Mile High Fi Podcast. And you can join the Mile High Fi Club. I'll put a link in the show notes here. Hopefully you got the pun there. That's the email list. So you could join the club and You'll be notified when the first episodes do come out, which should be in just a few weeks here. We haven't locked down on a specific launch date or launch week, but we are recording. We have several episodes in the pipeline, so we just want to make sure we have a few that we could launch with and not get behind or stressed out with the schedule. We're just taking our time. I know many of you are interested in the personal finance and financial industry independence ideas. So I hope you'll check it out whenever we do launch. Without further ado, let's hear from Amelia. Hey, Amelia, how's it going today? Hey, Doug, thanks for having me back. I was excited when you reached out and said, like, let's chat. It's like, let's do it. Yeah, it's been a while and we don't have any specific uh, like thing we're going over. We're just catching up and I'm curious uh, about what you've been up to. However, before we get into it, some people may not know who you are. So can you give us a quick uh, couple minute intro? Oh, well, a couple minutes. I mean, how long do you have? I mean, this podcast usually go, what, 60, 90 minutes? I'm pretty sure I could talk about myself the entire time. Uh, currently, how it plays out is I am a blogger and YouTuber. I also have a small podcast and I'm basically on the hunt to replace my former professional income making money online. Like I'm made fully, well, 99% fully transitioned, burn the boat. So I'm not going back and I've gone all in making money online. And what, what did you do before? I was a lawyer before. Okay. And for people that want to hear the full backstory, I've interviewed you before. So we talked about how you made the transition and how long has it been at this point? 
Since I was practicing fully, I want to say that it was in the summer of 2018 where I said, all right, this is it. Like I'm really going in. So I am coming up on the end of year three. All right. How did it go for the first, say, year, 18 months or so? Because I know a lot of people do want to make that transition and you were able to go for it burn the bridge, like you said, sink the boats, whatever the analogy is. <laughs> so yeah, how did it go like emotionally, like from a corporate situation or a steady paycheck to the unknown? Oh, it was it was literally like jumping off a cliff and building the parachute as you are falling. I Some people come into this world pretty savvy, like maybe they worked for an agency before, they had background in marketing, or maybe they had just dabbled in something. And I was as green as green. Like I had done a little bit of stuff with Kindle, KDP, uh, you know, publishing eBooks, but really jumping in. I mean, I fell down every single funnel that there was. I think I subscribed to so many email lists, things that I'm still, I can't get out of them. There were so many of them. And it was for me the first year, there was so little progress because I had so much to learn, not just about how to use WordPress, but how does this all work? So year one for me was uh, I made really very little progress. I made my first dollar online in 2018, but I honestly didn't make much more than that. It, well, and you potentially bought courses, right? Did yes. You courses. So you lost yes. money a little bit. Okay. I did. No, not just a little bit. I, I definitely lost money. But I think I said this in the last uh, podcast, our last interview, is, is I don't think of those things as uh, mistakes per se. I mean, I sure would like to have that money back because I didn't ultimately get maybe the the dollar for dollar value, you know, say, okay, I didn't in like input or like put into play the strategy that I was supposed to get out of it. And I didn't make money their way. But every one of those things was an investment that I learned from that I now use as the foundation for what I do. So was it a mistake? Maybe. Like, could I, I put that money to use some other way? Probably. But is it something, can I say that those were worthless and valueless? No, I learned something from every single one of those. And so maybe um, I would be more proud you know, I would be maybe less ashamed to come out and say, oh, I did that. But uh, ultimately, if, if that's what it took to get here, then I'm not going to regret those things because I like where I am now. Awesome. You have a few things in your platform now, and you, you mentioned a, a podcast, YouTube, and a blogger. So can you tell me about some of the stuff that you're working on? And we, we could dive in so you could sort of keep a high level for now. Sure. Yeah. I um, In 2018, I fell down the rabbit hole of affiliate marketing and Russell Brunson got me. He's a masterful marketer, especially for people who are at the top of the funnel, right? Who are just getting started. And I got totally sucked down the ClickFunnels rabbit hole and started a ClickFunnels affiliate site, a, you know, a SaaS site uh, with, you know, that as being the affiliate product. And 
And then I was looking at YouTube and email marketing and all these things. And I just felt like blogging was the area that I resonated with the best. And it was something that I could do with my schedule. And I thought, okay, I want to go down further this affiliate marketing journey doing websites. And so I continued to start websites that failed. I mean, that did not do well. And then just, I guess, learned with every single iteration of, you know, every fail or every single one that earned a little bit and just a, a little bit better with each one of those. And I'll just be honest right here. Like I'm still on the journey. Literally every site that I start or buy is still, I'm still on the hunt for that. I don't want to say perfect. I keep putting up my air quotes because people on the podcast will never see it, but my perfect like template or the perfect formula, I'm still on the hunt for that, but I gain confidence every single time and I do better every single time. It's just for me, it's taking a, a lot of tries to get to the place where I feel I want to be. You mentioned click funnels and I for for whatever reason wrestle his ads that would pop up. They just turned me off. I was like, mm -hmm. I don't trust him at all. I have talked to people who they actually they they like knew him personally, like I guess when he was getting started and they just said, "Oh, he's a great marketer and that's obviously or maybe not obviously, it's a persona and he has to sell and, and do his thing to sell stuff. But I luckily stayed away. So my question for you on ClickFunnels is, is it as pyramid schemey and scammy as it sounds and seems from the outside? You know, that is an interesting question because a lot of people call it a pyramid scheme, but ultimately ClickFunnels is a tool. It's a tool like Tailwind is a tool. It's a tool like WordPress is a tool. It's a, it's something that can be used to make something else. But people look at it like it is, and maybe because of the marketing or because the affiliates who are attached to it, like it is the solution, not a tool. So uh, people who come to a tool need to have some sort of business to apply it to. But if you just sign up for a tool, like if I just sign up, for a Tailwind account, it's not going to make my traffic come. It's not going to develop my website or build my audience. But people who are new to it, who uh, like I was, I'm going to put myself in that in that world, have to come to this uh, moment where we realize, okay, there is no business here. If all I'm doing is getting people to sign up for ClickFunnels, then I, you know, there's a limit to where I can take this. Because eventually I'm going to have to have a business, right? I'm, I'm paying uh, how many hundred dollars a month to have a tool that I don't use. I'm just trying to get other people to sign up for. So, I mean, is it a pyramid scheme? It's a tool. But I think some people do it as an MLM. Like they just, all they do with ClickFunnels is recruit other people. They don't use it to build their business. And so in that sense, yeah. I mean, it's just, marketing. It's just people trying to make money, but ClickFunnels as a tool, it's, it's, it's just a tool. Yeah. And to be fair, I was using the term very liberally and <laughs> just, I know it's not a pyramid scheme and technically I could have used ClickFunnels a few times, but mm -hmm. I specifically decided not to use it because I just there's too much weird. There's too many people that don't know what they're talking about selling it. 
It doesn't mean it's a bad tool, but there's other ones out there that did the job for me. So, but yeah, you're right. It's just a thing you can use to design funnels. But if a new person is, you know, if you go search for some reviews on ClickFunnels, actually no one wastes their time doing that. But if you see reviews for ClickFunnels, you will see people that, you know, maybe they don't know what they're doing. They're just trying to follow instructions on how to sell. And like you said, they're just selling more subscriptions for ClickFunnels, not selling their own products. So. I mean, you can see why, right? Like the SaaS product that offers a 40% commission that's recurring, right? So if you sell one subscription of ClickFunnels to someone who's paying $97 a month, you earn 40% of that. So it's like, what, $38 a month? You say, okay, well, I could go over to Amazon and try to sell you this widget one time that costs $19.99 and earn 3% of that once and make the same amount of effort, right? The same blog post, the same effort and make $38 a month for maybe however long it takes this customer to churn, whether it's three months or five years. Right. I mean, you can see why people will do just about anything and say just about anything to try to get a sale. But for me, I, uh, I found out pretty quickly uh, that I don't do a really good job of creating affiliate content either uh, on YouTube or uh, in writing that it's a product that I don't use regularly. And so I think ClickFunnels is a fine tool for people who need that tool. And if you don't need that tool, then I tell people, don't use that tool. And we can move on from this. You handle that pretty well. You almost make me want to go buy it now, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. So a couple of the other things uh, that you're working on. So we, I said we were going to dive down into certain areas. So we did that already in one spot. Nope. So you've purchased some sites. You have some niche sites going. Tell me about the, the various sites that you have. How are things going? Can you provide any results? Just all those details. <laughs> Each one of these sites is, um, I think of them like a college course, right? Every one of them had a, a purpose, and that purpose was driven a lot of you know, where I was at at the time. And so, you know, my very first site was this ClickFunnels affiliate site, and I was at that time learning about SEO, and it was um, promoted as a way, you know, use SEO to get. To, to get affiliate commissions. And so it was a very basic structure and strategy, you know, start a blog uh, and then write articles about the products and then, you know, earn money, which at the time was like, okay, that's simple. I'll start doing that. And then as I was doing that, I, I worked really hard and put in a lot of time and effort, but then didn't necessarily see a lot of traffic coming in. And I realized, all right, um, I'm missing something, you know, it worked for this person, but probably this person got into this um, product when it was uh, not necessarily trending as well as it is now. So it was uh, more of a blue ocean than it is now. And I realized I was going to have to level up and try harder at this. And so I started uh, another site. And that was after I had actually done John Dykstra's course. So I had, he like, he snagged me with his emails. He got me with his emails and his course was reasonable. It was his full like blogging course for $47. And it's like one year. I'm like, that's sold. Here's my money. Take it. And then uh, just, I wanted to try his method, his strategy. So I started another website with his 
strategy and just trying to follow as closely as I could to what it is that he uh, said to do, even though in some ways it was different from the strategy of my first site. I wanted to see, okay, well, how would this play out if I tried as well as I could to follow the things that this person said? Now, was I able to do that 100%? I was not. So it's more of a subjective experience because in every case, I can't help myself. I think, let me substitute my judgment for some stupid reason, like I would have any reason to know better, right? But we always do that. You know, the doctor says, you know, eat well, exercise, and I think McDonald's sounds better. It just, and and I'll, I'll do that. Uh, but I I did this with a successive number of sites, and right now I'm um, my last version of this, which is more of an amalgamated model of the things that I've learned. As far as results go, I'm not somebody who opens up my underwear drawer and I don't tell you how many, um, how much money I'm making. I, I've never done that. And as far as traffic, that is one thing that I share. And actually on YouTube, that's pretty much what I have done and where I have started to share, uh, if you could call it results, but I just do case study update videos. So the two sites, I don't want to say sites, but the two case studies I want to say that are public. So the site I started in 2019 with um, John Dykstra's course, and then the one that I started in January of this year are two sites that I'm chronicling, chronicling more regularly. The 2019 uh, site was actually the one that I think we talked about last year when I came on the show in May. And when I came to you about that site, I was like, beyond jazzed, right? I had started the site in April and it was just under a year old and it was headed towards 25,000 sessions a month. And I was like flying high. I'm like, I got this figured out. I'm going to be making $20,000 a month like tomorrow. This is amazing. And then um, May the 4th happened and the site just got slaughtered, like just bloodbath. Like it just took all the wind out of my sails. Uh, you know, it just like killed the motivation that I had for not only that site, but for all of my sites in general, because, you know, you put, I put in so much work on that and it was just getting to, and I was doing with ad revenue. It wasn't even with affiliate offers. So it's like building up enough traffic to earn money from ads. And it didn't really have a really high RPM or EPMV because it was on Azoic at the time. So it was just like brute force traffic. And then May the 4th came through and I was just like deflated, like the balloon, like, and so what I ended up doing was kind of setting almost all of my portfolio aside for the summer. And I just decided to work on YouTube and work on the podcast that I had started last year instead and just give myself some time to get excited about working on my portfolio again, because I just felt destroyed hurt me. Do you have any recommendations for people that have gone through or unfortunately will go through an algorithm update and how to handle it? So you you sort of went on a hiatus focused on other projects. So generally, what kind of advice would you give people if they hit a rough patch like that? Well, I definitely think that what people need to do when they get a site that gets hit really hard is to just wait. Because what I did notice is that in the subsequent months, and even since then, is that the site has continued to react in the updates. So actually, at this point now, the site is almost, not quite, but almost fully back to where it was uh, before May the 4th. But it took 
it's, it's taken basically a year since then to get to almost a year because it's March now. So, you know, 11, 10 or 11 months to get to that point. And if I had gone and done a whole bunch of stuff to the site, maybe the site would have recovered. Maybe not. Maybe it would have done worse. But at least now I have some idea. I, I think I know pretty well why the site did what it did. And so it makes it... Uh, likely in the future, I'm going to work on it again. And I think I'm going to be able to resolve and move forward for that site. So it's not like I'm going to give up. It's just, okay, I've, I've learned and gained some new skills. And then I can look back at that site and say, okay, I was in, let's see, the, the middle, like the near the, what, the beginning of year two or in the middle of year two. And I gave myself a year's worth of experience in the make money online world, which I honestly think a year in the MMO world is like four years of college because of how much you can learn in a year's time compared to what you would learn sitting in a classroom in college because so much of it is hands-on. So if somebody gets hammered by the update, I would tell them to chill because this is a long game. Like I'm committed to this. I believe in this model. I think it can work. It's just, it's not going to happen tomorrow. And if you're thinking that, oh, I've, this has failed and I have failed and I should quit, then you've bought into the marketer's dream of what this should be. Because it's a, it's a real, you think of it like a real job. Like if I got fired from my real job today, I don't go home and be like, well, I guess I'm never working again. I mean, <laughs> You know, yeah. you're going to find something else to do to make it work. And this is this, this is no different. You mentioned you thought you figured out what the issue was. Can you mm -hmm. tell us what it is? I think it's an issue of topical relevance. So, and I'll tell you how I got there and how I came to that conclusion and why. Um, I was in John Dykstra's course at the time. And John, at the time, he's doing more SEO now. But at the time, he was crushing it with just massive amounts of content. Right. That's how he could beat everybody is he was dumping between ten and twenty thousand dollars a month in articles. And so he could, in his niche, uh, go to Hrefs and just pull every single keyword that he could possibly think of that he would assess as being uh, low competition, really without even searching it in Google, right? He just look at it and look at the KD keyword difficulty and then look at how much search traffic it was and be like, send it to a writer, boom. Like just get it out there, get it done without really any thought necessarily to um, how closely it was related to the other content. But because he overall had so much content, like you could brute force overcome the issue of topical relevance by hitting on keywords that just are not competitive enough. There's just nothing, no other option out there. And then you build links and over time, it doesn't really matter what you do because your site has plenty of authority, has plenty of content. The algorithm, I think, recognizes those sites as being a place to send traffic. But when you're a small publisher who doesn't have very many links or money to really use to create a site and the, and the site is really young, right? So you're in, in the sandbox basically and you try to apply the same method but on a smaller scale, what you end up with is a lot of articles that are loosely related not necessarily closely related. And then I think what happened in my case was that Google's not sure what my site is really about. What is my site and authority on? Now, just because I say this is a site about X doesn't make it so. 
And just because I happen to have one or two articles on this topic and say, okay, let's say my site is about the outdoors. And then I decide to write an article about hiking and an article about camping and an article about this, an article about that. I don't think that Google for a small site recognizes outdoors. Like it's looking for, you know, what is your niche? Like, what is it really? And just because I say that it's outdoors, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. I think that there, you're, I'm, I need to have articles in the specific niche on the specific topic that go deeper than just one or two articles and they need to be linked to each other. And so what I have instead is um, about 300 articles that um, have uh, that, that are written on keywords that are not competitive at all, but they won't rank for them because Google doesn't realize that that my site is about A, B, or C, or D. It's I, I think it's I've just diluted any sort of authority that I have and spread it out all over everything, which means that that I'm like way down here on on everything, and it's really hard to get anywhere. Now I don't think it's um, a coincidence at all that the one I'm going to put on my air quotes silo of articles are basically the top 10 articles. So I have basically gone back and then looked at one or two articles that were performing really well and created seven or eight articles uh, are like with similar keywords and similar topics and then linked them to each other. And now those articles are the top 10 articles on the site and get the lion's share of the traffic. So the solution on this site going forward, assuming that my theory about this is correct, is to just either uh, prune content and focus on the niche, the topic that is currently getting traffic, or to try to create really deep, distinct silos on some of those other topics to see if I can rescue those articles. But this site may be um, unsalvageable just because it is so broad, and odds are I'm not going to dump a ton of money to try and save every single silo because each one of them could probably be its own cluster on its own. If I were to go back and do that, I, uh, I'm having so much more fun. Uh, I don't want to say starting over, but starting over and kind of applying the lessons learned to a new site, which is what I have been doing since January and having, having a lot of fun. And you know, that old site, I mean, it makes, um, uh, between $100 and $150 a month in ads and occasionally an affiliate sale here or there because it's on Amazon. And, you know, you could say, oh, well, that's a fail, but that's still a fail that will probably continue to earn 100 bucks a month from now until Google decides to hate on it again. And maybe it's something I could sell in the future or it's just like, hey, that was something that pays for itself. And I learned so much from it and I can yeah. apply that going forward. And you never know when a new update's going to come around and actually help a site out. I've seen that a few times mm -hmm. where same kind of story. Someone has some ups and downs. They ignore the site for a while. A new update comes through and then it doubles in traffic, 4X in traffic, and literally no, no action was taken. Yeah. So, okay. And just to recap... The site didn't have topical relevancy. There were a lot of random articles, roughly in the same. I mean, they fit on the same site, but it's just Google doesn't know what your site is an authority in. So the way to fix it is to create some clusters or silos that actually 
add more content and expertise in specific topical areas. Is that pretty good? Yeah. I mean, what you see when I talk about this on my live stream and with other people who are newer to this, they will go and say, well, I saw so-and-so blogger do that and they're fine. And I said, again, you're not, I am not so-and-so blogger and and my domain is not 10 years old and I do not have 3000 articles of content on my site. I have 300. It might be 400 now. I don't even know, but I know that they are in a different place. John Dykstra's sites are in a different place than mine were. So I can't go out and say, oh, well, I did it and it didn't work for me. It's because I didn't do what they did. Not truly. I did not spend that time and effort seven years ago, and I haven't published 5,000 articles on the site. I'll talk to talk to me when I have 5,000 articles on that site, and we'll see what happens when I post something random about coffee and see how it, perf- how it performs. But right now with the new site, I think topical relevance is really important, and it wasn't something that I really understood or really even thought of when I started that site uh, almost two years ago now, basically like a week from now, last two years ago, right now, I think I was like getting ready to spend money on that course and jump full in on this method. Yeah. It's tough when we're all subject to the cognitive biases that we have certain areas are, you know, stronger for other people, but with YouTube in your podcast and having an audience, it's super easy for someone to just pick examples that prove their point. And it's like arguing with my dog, right? It, it like, <laughs> it makes no sense because sure you could find an examples to prove whatever you want. And you know, if we wanted to blow up our podcast, we couldn't do what Joe Rogan is doing. Cause we're not Joe Rogan. There's a little more context to the whole thing. So it's, it's tough and, yeah, it's kind of crazy. So you got, you have at least a couple sites. How many sites do you have total? Send it like at least three. I think I have uh, eight. Okay. I think I have eight, and most of them are in a state of parked or neglected because I um, I'm still in the learning phase, and so I feel like. I want to put 12 months into the site I'm working on right now. Honestly, I, I really think that what I have done is what a lot of people do. And I'm on my way to getting past that, which is I'm so excited about this. And I feel like starting new things and like trying new things and buying things is, and it will add up like it will snowball and become more and more and more and more and more. But turns out uh, without a team, I can't manage all of those things. I can't create enough content to support all of those things. And I'm at this point unwilling to really go deep in with a team because I just want to have as few complications as possible. It just means that I will grow slower. Uh, the upside is that uh, I have hands-on on everything, right? So every learning moment is mine. Uh, I think that sometimes when we outsource things, you know, we miss the opportunity to say, okay, well, how does this really work? And what happens when I do this? And how hard is it to do this? And so when I eventually go down that road, I think I will be able to supervise people and also be able to create um, just better content overall because I will be better able to manage that. But one of the things I did on my 2019 site is I outsourced a lot of content, which is what everybody says to do. But it turns out I had a lot to learn yet as to what would constitute good content. And I learned so much. Since then, I go back and read over what I thought was awesome. And I'm like, 
It probably wasn't. And that's my fault. That's not their fault as a writer. That's my fault because I, one, couldn't give them good directions. Two, I couldn't review what they had produced in a way that would give them decent feedback so that they could produce for me what I wanted. Ultimately, I didn't know what I wanted because I didn't have that experience yet. And that wasn't something that I was just going to get from a course. I mean, experience, the courses can only take you so far. I think that there, I would absolutely advocate for people to invest in courses. I will, I continue to do it, but there's no replacement for doing it yourself. Yep. You have to execute and make a couple of mistakes. Those kinds of things are really helpful. Unfortunately, you, you do have to make the mistakes. You do. You do. And that's the thing that drives me bonkers is people are like, oh, I'm just so afraid to fail. And I'm like, that is the learning moment. Like it is, that is, those are the learning moments in each case is, okay, do it wrong. Because P- people, you know, they come on your stream, they come on mine, and I totally get the need to ask questions because it's new world. But at some point, you just have to try it. I don't know which is the best hosting for you. I don't know which is the perfect domain for you and your niche and all the things. But I do know that I figured these things out for me by trying them. And I can come back to you. And and I'm not one of these fully formed success stories, right? That, that come on your channel and other people's channels are like, I make X dollars a month and I'm, you know, I got my money gun and um, I'm I'm like in progress. And I think so strongly of people sharing these stories that I'm willing to come on your channel and tell people that. But I think that most people on YouTube will not. Yeah, it's, I try to have um, not necessarily failure stories. And you're not a failure story. No, no, no. I, 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 I've, I've done it wrong like 10,000 different ways. Like, it's okay. Like, I don't care if people, like somebody said on Alex's channel, I went on his channel uh, a while back and somebody said, I don't think this lady really knows exactly what she's doing. And Alex defended me and he's like, I think she knows exactly what she's doing, which I appreciated. But in some ways, I'm still figuring that out and it's not necessarily a criticism and it shouldn't be because a lot of us are still figuring it out. And that's one of the joys of being part of a community like yours and others is you learn that most of us on a day-to-day basis are still trying to figure out how to make this the best possible business and experience for us. Lost my train of thought. I had a great question. Sorry, I like have my way of like just blowing right through that. Like, let me take over, hijack your conversation. I have a good failure story for you. So I did a case study. I suck at case study. So kudos for you for at least keeping track of like what the fuck you're doing. Cause I just <laughs> forget about them. So I was doing this age site case study and it, it actually all ties together. This is why it's so good. So in the age site case study, I thought, Hey, I'm going to partner with these companies. I'm actually going to buy the products. I'm going to pay for all this shit so I could say what I want. And I was going to outsource everything because unfortunately that's what everyone wants. Everyone thinks I don't want to do any of the work. I just want to outsource everything. So I, I want to know what companies to use. And I, I wasn't outsourcing in that capacity. So I thought, I need to test out the services. I'm going to do this thing. So I ended up spending, I don't know, 15,000 bucks over, I don't know, say four months, five months, something like that. 
pretty big outlay. I bought an age site. I paid a company to write all the content. I bought links and it was slowly growing. It was actually making a few hundred bucks a month. I think the highest month was like a December and it made four or $500. Not bad. It was moving in the right direction. And I literally published 50 articles. All I did was hit publish. I spent very little time on the whole thing. And then it slowly was climbing through April of 2020. Same update you're talking about, (laughs) May the 4th. Uh, Traffic impact, it lost roughly half the traffic. And the unfortunate part was most of the revenue was coming from a couple posts. Those are the ones that dropped. So traffic in half, spent $15,000. At some point, Amelia, I realized, you know what? I'm not going to go back to it. I don't care about the niche. I don't care about the case study. I'm bored with this whole thing. Maybe I could sell it. I emailed my list, ended up cutting a deal. I won't share the exact amount, but basically I lost a lot of money. The whole thing was a failure. However, talking about cognitive biases, it's a sunk cost fallacy bias and that money was gone. I spent that 15K in 2019, but now I have money that had disappeared and someone else has an asset. They have time and effort to put into it. And even more importantly, they have like the focus and the willingness to spend time on it. And I'm just uninterested with it. So mm-hmm. huge failure overall, but I removed myself luckily. And I was like, you know what? I just got to get rid of it. I have like one or two other sites like that. So I don't know, would you sell some of your sites that are just sitting there? Or do they have any intrinsic value? Are they getting any traffic? Like, can you unload them in some capacity? All of my sites are getting traffic and all of my sites are earning it, at least in some way. You know, that that SaaS site, my first site, um, it doesn't get that much traffic, but uh, maybe once a quarter or sometimes even once a month, I'll get a fairly big um, affiliate sale on it. So somebody will from the site go and spend $1,000 on a product over there at ClickFunnels and that's 40%. So it's sort of like I just as long as it's continuing to earn money. I haven't really talked about this site on my channel all that much because I'm not that proud of it. Uh, but, you know, in the lifetime of the site, uh, I think I've earned $5,000 with the with the uh, the ClickFunnels affiliate program just from that site just being there. So, you know, I, I, I guess you could, I, I call it, a, I don't call it a win, right? I don't call it a success, but given that most people really struggle to earn $100 or their first dollar, you know, online to be able to have a project that I consider basically a fail, right? To be like, oh, well, I did earn five grand on that in the last, what, this is the third year of it. So it probably earns between 1,500 and two grand a year. Um, And it just, I don't touch it. I haven't updated it in 18 months. I mean, I do nothing except every once in a while get an email that says, ooh, there's $350 that just landed in my bank account. I'm like, thanks. That's pretty cool. But everything else earns, at least it pays for itself in some way. So if I had a site that was a straight up just money pit, uh, I'd get rid of it. i just let it go. I would try to give it away to somebody or something just to be done with it. Um, Yeah. 
The thing that really inflated my portfolio was my Empire Flippers purchase because I bought a small portfolio of sites um, almost two years ago. So it'll be two years ago in July. And again, this was in this like formative learning phase. And I was like, oh, you know, the portfolio earns this much and that's great. And without really thinking or knowing uh, what sort of burden it would be to maintain and write content for these sites. And what I've done is definitely prune them. So I pruned away the ones that were not monetized because there were two sites that came over I wasn't expecting that were not monetized and I wasn't going to pay for domains. And I just wouldn't, it's not that they weren't valuable, it's I couldn't get to them. And I really didn't think much of what was on them as far as like, I wouldn't feel good trying to even give them away to people in my audience. It's just, I didn't, I, I didn't feel good about them. So I just let them go. And there's probably one more site um, in there that I'm probably just going to let go because I it couldn't get reapproved for AdSense, which is one of those bummer things where somebody it was approved on someone else's account, but in the migration it couldn't get approved again. But it was such a small one that it didn't really impact ultimately the and I got a credit in the transaction from the seller for that site, basically the value of it. So have it. And it earns some money, but it's just not one that I am going to um, probably offload to anybody because it can't get approved for AdSense or any other ad network. And it just makes us, it makes enough to pay for it, its expenses on um, like an alternative ad network. It's, it's nothing to be excited about. But again, all of the sites are profitable in some way. So, and as long as they are that, then I don't mind hanging on to them. It's not taking up too much bandwidth. I mean, I have to have the hosting anyway, and I have, you know, the the various large size hosting. So it's like they're just sitting in there. Now, if those hosting accounts get too full and I want to start something new, then they're gone. Yeah. Get out of here. That. You mentioned a minute ago, you, you want to keep things sort of uh, simple and straightforward. And as far as a team, yeah. if budget was no concern, which budget's always a concern, but basically, do you want to have a team in the future or do you want to have a fairly lean team? I would definitely, I'm, whatever I do, it's going to be lean hundred percent because I, when you hire somebody, I mean, you, you almost have a responsibility for them, you know, they're, they're, they rely upon you, you know, for their bread basically and their rent because you agree, you know, to pay them and then they they begin to rely upon you for those things and if I cannot be consistent and to take on the burden of basically their family, right? And their lives, then I I'm not going to go down that road. I I cannot imagine um, saying, yes, you know, I, I will hire you full time and then, you know, you have them 6 months through a year and then you say, "Sorry. See you later. It's be my decisions." I just can't afford you now. I I don't want that burden. Uh, I I definitely think that outsourcing is important. And I and you look at every single person who's super successful on YouTube. Just about every single one of them who publishes income reports that are large, right? They and they incorporate outsourcing of at least the content um, on some level, and others go deeper, you know, with VAs and all the rest. But just about everybody has some sort of support. I've just been really cognizant of, of my need to learn enough to be able to supervise the product. And this is something that I thought was important as a professional when I was an attorney. And it was highlighted to me with my 2019 site, um, how much I still had to learn. And 
like there's some folks who are in our communities now who are going really deep into outsourcing, which I totally respect because I think that like going all in and learning is the way to get where we need to go. But some of them are going in so deep and I'm like, man, you know, and they're still so early in their journey that I, I, I want them to succeed. Like I don't want to see it not work out. Like I, I, I really want it to work. Like I, some people are like, Oh, it's never going to work. Like, I'm just like, like work, man. Like this has got to work because, but it's just, uh, you know, people, I just, I guess I think where I was and not everybody in their first year is where I was. And I was super green, like so green. And you think like YouTube, right? Like there are people who come into YouTube in their first year, they already get monetized and they've already got lots of views. And my first year in YouTube, I completed my first year with 46 subscribers. I think I made, I think I made 200 videos in a year, my first year on YouTube and had 46 subscribers, wow. you know, and, and most people that doesn't happen for them. They'll make 30 videos. I think that's what they, the, the YouTube gurus say, you need at least 30 videos on your channel before you start to see some success. And I was at 200. <laughs> and yeah, you mentioned a couple, a couple things. One, you sort of talked about people that are really successful on YouTube and some stuff like that. And I just want to, as a public service, as a YouTuber, uh, you don't necessarily want to follow <laughs> in our footsteps and you're a YouTuber too. So, I mean, we're trying to be entertaining in some capacity. So it's not that we're putting out like bad information or anything, but yeah, I mean, YouTube's a weird ecosystem. I have a love hate situation with it. I actually enjoy doing the podcast way more. So mm -hmm. I just want to highlight that. And again, I lost my train of thought, but we're just going to keep on trucking along. Well, I'm going to interrupt you there and just yeah. make sure that I clarify is I don't think that people who are publishing income reports that they're um, they're doing it to be hurtful, or that they're uh, like hiding things, or like uh, doing like there's no sort of malfeasance here. Like I just, I, I think it's it. You can't help but notice that the guys and ladies that have the big sites that are earning a lot, most of them outsource something, and it, it doesn't always have to be content. I mean, it's just there's so much that has to be done, especially if you have a portfolio. And if you have a, a full-time job still or a family like I do, I mean, it's, I, I cannot spend 40 hours a week doing this because these other things are more important to me. And yes, you're hundred percent right. Outsourcing is highly valuable and a good skill to have. And I was focusing on the wrong part, which is just like the people looking up to YouTubers, maybe a mm. little too much occasionally. Maybe way too often. It's a fun thing. If, if people don't have a YouTube channel, like check it out. It's pretty fun. And shifting into the other topic here, your YouTube channel has gotten a lot more traction. So tell us about that. Like what took you from the 47 subscribers to, I think you're over 3,000 at this point, right? I did. I just crossed 3,000. And it's funny because... A good friend of mine, that I, their opinion I valued very much, told me that a thousand would not be possible for me. And I was like, thank you, but watch me. And what, what took me from 46 to um, 3000 was just like sheer stupidity. 
like persistence in the face of pain. You think that usually when you have negative feedback, that's a sign that you should stop, right? Like our human bodies, we are made when we experience pain, that is a sign to stop what you are doing because you are being harmed. And I think that's why the YouTube ecosystem and make, making money online in general is so difficult is because you do all this effort and you suffer and nothing good happens. And you're like, this is not a sign that I should keep going. <laughs> like there, you know, there's nothing good happening. There's, an, there's no incentive to keep working. Um, and, and, and that's ultimately what I did is I just kept making videos and just trying to make every video at least a little bit better than the last one. And because I had so far to come, I was uh, anxious about being on camera. I didn't like the way I looked, the way I sound, the way I talk. I um, couldn't edit to save my life, still can't. Uh, and I don't have a set, like look at my set right here. Like you've got, you know, books and like lighting and I've got a window and I use my phone sometimes as my light. If I need to light up the other side of my face, you know, it's just every, every video was just making something a little bit better. And, um, turns out that if you just try hard long enough, you will grow just like websites. Like if you just try hard long enough, eventually something will happen. It might not happen as fast as you want it, but in my case, I just kept pounding away at it and here we are. I was auditing my blog niche site project and getting rid of a lot of old content. When I was going through, I saw a couple sort of roundup posts from 2014 or so. And it was amazing to me to see how many people started blogs sort of in my same cohort, the same couple years, how many just dropped off. They just quit. They didn't yeah. stick with it. Like you said, through the dumb shit that I was doing where, you know, sites are penalized. My case studies fell apart. There were other case studies that I didn't follow up on and just, you know, thing after thing. But I, I did keep going and eventually like there's a handful of people that still have the blogs from that group, but it's probably like 10, 15%. Like a lot of people start things and it's really hard to follow through. So I think, I mean, that's really, that's exactly what I've done with my channel. I was on an interview not too long ago and they're like, oh yeah, what was the big inflection point? No inflection point. There was nothing. It was just, just I, like, yeah, I just kept doing it. And eventually I got a little bit better, but not, not much. I got more lights. I have a lot of <laughs> lights in here. You'd be alarmed at the number and the lumens shining at my face here. But yeah, well, you can see me. Like, I feel like my face, like for the most part is pretty well lit. That's a window. That's the best lighting you can get. Unfortunately, my stupid window is behind me, so I have to cover it up and then shine artificial lights in my face here. So. You know, the one thing I will say about YouTube, uh, the transition period that really started to help me grow from 46, which is, you know, like one or two or three subscribers a month for one year was I started to use YouTube like it was meant to be used and stop trying to use it as an affiliate marketer and stop trying to use it as someone who was trying to grow a channel. Uh, I just started using it like a person. And so I actually started watching videos and actually started following people and, and not just to leave comments for the sake of getting followers, but to actually be on YouTube. And I started to understand what it is that people 
wanted and uh, looked for and slowly tried to incorporate those things into my content. And it didn't happen fast, but uh, I got to see things that I was doing. I think that I saw in other videos that I found um, that turned me off that I would say, okay, I wouldn't watch more content from this person or would make me unsubscribe or make me less likely to subscribe. And I also feel like I became, um, I, I began to value uh, people on YouTube, the the actual subscribers more highly, right? Because it's pretty easy to think of your, I'm going to put up my air quotes again, followers, um, just as numbers, right? You have so many subscribers and you forget that those are people. And each one of those people um, has a, a, a decision at some point to make in watching your content to, um, you know, subscribe or to like or to leave a comment. And it drives me bonkers when people say, oh, well, tell them to subscribe because they won't think of it. I'm like, really? If I see a piece of content that blows my mind and I love that person, nobody needs to tell me to subscribe because I know that I want to subscribe and I know where the little red button is. And if you point an arrow to it, it doesn't make it easier for me to find it because I'm on YouTube. But people treat them like they're children who don't understand how to operate the phone that they spend 18 hours a day staring at. It's funny. I stopped mentioning that. I, I might do it out of habit occasionally, but I don't think I've even said my name. I don't even say who I am anymore because it turns out either they don't care or they already know. It's the channel name too. I like, they know who I am. If they look around, if they care to find out, they could figure it out. So I do yeah. think though, like asking people, reminding people to hit the like button. Um, I do think that that is worthwhile to do. And uh, because I do forget to do that. And somebody's like, oh, hit the like button if you're, if you like it or whatever. I'm like, oh yeah, sure. Like I'm happy to do that. But the subscribe thing, like you're reminding me to subscribe, like, nah, like, yeah. I know that that's like the advice that every YouTube guru says, like, tell them to subscribe. And for me, if somebody has to be reminded to subscribe to my channel, then I don't want them because they are not warm enough to me. They don't like me enough probably to see one of my thumbnails come through their browse feed and to click on the video. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. what you want. You want them to be so fired up about you that they see a thumbnail, you know, on your phone, like a notification interrupting their day. And they're like, Ooh, I need to stop what I'm doing and watch that. You know, yeah. that's right. And are you good on time? I know we're coming up towards the end of our scheduled. Whatever. I, I think I have till 3.30, just like you. Okay. Or is it the top of the hour? <laughs> we're, we're also, we're going to a, a Oh God, what time is it? I don't actually know what time. <laughs> I don't know. I just know that I'm good until you're good. So. Okay. I'll check our calendar. I'm not even going to edit this out. Yeah. We're at the top of the hour. So we'll keep going here. Okay. Back on topic. Still YouTube. You have another channel that you started. Can you explain uh, the reason why? Oh, yeah. I have two. I have more than one YouTube channel, but the two YouTube channels that I have my name associated with, I have my main channel, which is my name, Amelia Gardner. And then in December of 2020, I got this radical idea of uh, creating a second channel and to initially just host live streams and live interviews on a second channel. Uh, and the reason I thought of this is that I had watched an interview that Coffeezilla did with uh, Graham Stephan 
And one of the advice points that Graham Stephan gave to CoffeeZilla, basically like the biggest thing that CoffeeZilla could do to work on growth was to move his live streams uh, off, like his long form interviews to a separate channel. And the reason is that uh, live streams often, the content in those is, is not evergreen and a, a lot of people don't watch them. And so just if you look at your channel overall, if you have uh, content that people are either you know not interested in or um, that content is just dead, right? Nobody's going, it's not going to appear in search. And if people do, they're not going to watch it, that it can pull down the overall metrics and performance of your other videos. And coming from, you know, it's a big dog like that. I was like that, that. I mean, that makes sense on a on, on a logical level, as I understand the algorithm to function like, well, um, I could ask people what they thought, or I could just do it myself, see what happens. And uh, so I started a second channel, I started a live stream channel. And it has, I think as of today, it has a whopping 122 subscribers uh, compared to my main channel, which has 3000. I noticed when I set it up that I had some people unsubscribe from the main channel and subscribe only to the live stream channel. Some people did not subscribe to the live stream channel. In fact, many did not. And some people told me they thought it was a bad idea and that it was confusing to have two channels. But what I have noticed is that the, um, the videos, uh, the average watch time on the videos that are over on the live stream uh, is very high. Uh, you know, as much as uh, between 20 and 30 minutes for videos that are uh, an hour long or potentially more. The CTR is really high on the thumbnails, you know, sometimes approaching 20%. So what I know is that the people who are getting those thumbnails, who are getting notifications, who are seeing these streams in their on their browse page, that's content they really want. And they, uh, and the people who, um, I guess, Maybe like sometimes may have clicked on it when it came through their feed on the main channel. Maybe they really, maybe they really didn't like it, or maybe they were kind of meh about it. The one thing I know for sure is the people who are on the live stream channel, that is what they are there for. That is what they want. Nobody is over there <laughs> thinking that they're going to get regular videos about all this other stuff. They're there just for that. So I feel like one, I'm serving that audience really well by putting them in a place where they want to be. And and I think that the people who unsubscribe from the main channel, those people were just there in the first place for the live stream content, which means that when I made other videos, they were just scrolling past, not interested. And that is not going to help the performance of those videos. Uh, in the long run, will I say this is a good idea? I mean, not many people are doing this. Alex, he's got 50,000 subscribers and he's live streaming all the time you have 25,000 subscribers and you live stream on your channel. Um, so if I just did what all the, the big dogs in my niche were doing, I have done something crazy, right? I've done something that doesn't make sense, but I want to see what it will do. And right now I like having the, the streams in its own place because I feel like the people who um, are there, like they really want that. And they may or may not want the other stuff. And it makes me think that in the future, I may carve out other topics. Like I think, mm -hmm. you know, I have a lot of people subscribe to my channel who are there because of the income store series of videos that I have been making since about January of 2020. Those people are not interested in my other content. They are there because they know that I will do an income store video. 
and they um, probably don't watch a lot of my other stuff. And that is not good for my channel for the, my thumbnails to come to their phone or to their browse page and for them to just scroll right by. Doesn't help me at all. But, um, and I, it, I feel like this is a, like a, a trending story. So starting a new channel just to support those folks isn't going to make sense. It's going to be a lot of effort for no, I mean, for limited good, because at this point now there's not a lot of videos to make anymore, but mm. Um, but in the future, if I was to decide, okay, like I'd really like to delve into teaching about podcasting, I probably would just start a separate channel for that. And then just try to divert the people who are on my main channel who are interested in that over to it. I don't think that I would start from scratch with starting five channels because now I have this main channel that I could use as the foundation to try and draw people to the other ones. If that's what they're interested in. Um, and I definitely would not change anything I did. Like I would still stream a ton on my main channel because that's really what helped me get my watch time and to grow. Just at some point it came to, I think, to a point where it was a good time to say, okay, I'd like to build this as a streaming hub and then focus on maybe seeing what other topics I can build on the main channel and maybe create another hub maybe in two years you know, see what people are interested in. What am I interested in? Yeah. I think I'll be interested to hear how it goes in a year or two, but I've seen this on some other channels. One of my friends, she has, it was sort of like a vlogging channel plus travel plus lifestyle and uh, all this other stuff. And she's split it I haven't talked to her, but I'm, I'm curious if it's the same exact thing. So she has like a travel, a vlog channel, and then a lifestyle, and then the main channel. But she splits mm -hmm. into like four different sort of buckets, I think. I, <laughs> I, I started another channel, and we were chatting earlier. I'm sort of un, unclear on what I'm going to do with it, but in a similar way, it will probably be topics that – don't necessarily, they, they literally won't fit on the main channel where I talk about affiliate marketing and SEO and whatever. I have put other random stuff on the channel, which usually doesn't do as good. At the end of the day, I may simplify things just because I don't want to manage extra stuff. <laughs> A little lazy and I'm like, ah, am, I, am I getting as much out of it as the effort or extra brain capacity that it's taking up? And I'm not sure because I don't even know what I'll, would end up doing with it. So I don't know. I could see myself in the future wanting to maybe do vlogs, right? And you see some of the big YouTubers do this where they have their main channel and then they would like to create content that's maybe just about their life, like in generally, or talk motivation or, or talk, uh, just to do something that maybe only a, a portion of their audience would be interested in. And, and that just seems like a good time to carve that out. And maybe only a portion of your audience is interested in beer. You know, maybe maybe that would be a good place to put that content. Maybe it's just uh, Doug Cunnington life. Yeah. And that's just those that the other those random stuff. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and, and sometimes YouTube is selfish. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to, uh, I think the Think Media guys and other people do this, but they break up their content into buckets where they try to create content that is for getting, serving um, and acquiring new subscribers, right? The stuff that maybe 
current subscribers are not that into, but new subscribers would be into. And then serving your current subscribers, creating, you know, do maybe doing the live streams or doing things that the, the current people who subscribe to, you want to make them as happy as you can. And then the third bucket is things that make you happy, like fulfills the artistic, creative thing that maybe doesn't serve these guys or these guys. But the third bucket is what will keep you on YouTube. And like feeling free to say, okay, like which bucket do I serve today? And maybe that bucket is another channel or maybe you just post it on the main channel and tell you guys like what? Like deal with it. I <laughs> felt like making this video and I made it. So there, come get me. And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm probably trending towards the 80% of the content for me area just because I'm more selfish. Okay. <laughs> We're coming towards the end just so we don't go on for too, too long here. A couple quick things. You, you did have me on your live stream on the live channel, so people can check that out. We'll put links so people can find it. And you did a pretty cool segment where you came up with different niche and sort of keyword ideas, and then you got my take on it, and we riffed on it. A few good ideas were actually thought that could be a good niche. One that you brought up was the adult sleepovers so do you want to tell people what <laughs> what about adult sleepovers adult sleepovers that that led to many suggestive potential comments okay. <laughs> oh right. the adults so the the sleepover though the as a niche i just have seen people starting businesses around sleepovers for kids and so what they'll do is they will, you hire them and they'll bring over like these super cute indoor tents, like these little uh, wooden tents with a fabric on them and like pillows and like snacks, you know, and, and movies and, and a, a projector screen, like to make it the ultimate sleepover. But one of the things that came up was the adult sleepover, which we laughed about because, you know, most adults, when they want to sleep over, they don't anyway. Um, but, you know, that could be like a cool niche, actually, it would be to to have like adult sleepover parties where you come over, have dinner and then like have a cool like setup for a sleepover. So anybody who's thinking of a business idea, there you go. Yeah. And we pepper in some other details in the live stream. So definitely go check that out and listen to it. You could listen to the whole thing, but you could fast forward and probably find the adult <laughs> sleepover part. So, Okay. <laughs> Your podcast. So, how many episodes do you have out now? Um, yeah, just I have about, about fifty. It. I have about a fifty fifty episodes, and I am still like up in the air about the branding. The podcast was a spontaneous thing that I had thought about, and I had actually been in the process of uh, developing a podcast with a colleague, and uh, I was really excited about it, and uh, it just didn't happen, and I didn't have the confidence at the time. I thought I didn't have the confidence at the time to do a podcast on my own because I didn't have uh, a lot of traction on YouTube, and I didn't feel like I knew enough, and when that uh, collab fell through, I was really disappointed, and I was like, screw it. I just, I mean, that day I literally went to Buzzsprout and signed up and I just started a podcast and I didn't know what to call it or how to call it. So I, I called it the fall forward podcast, not fail forward, which is what I wanted to call it, but somebody had that name. But the idea is that if you're going to fall, if you're going to trip, you're going to make mistakes, just fall forward because at least you're like, uh, you know, on and you're making progress, even if you're tripping and falling on your face over and over, which is basically my experience in life. 
And yeah, and most of it has been interviews. Uh, some people say they really like the solo uh, solo shows where I just talk for 15 or 20 minutes. But ultimately, the data tells me that most people like the interviews uh, because those get the most downloads. And it's not a huge show, um, but I have found that there was a lot of value that I didn't expect in the podcast, just simply from the interviews, from the opportunities to connect with people. Uh, it's amazing how if you just cold emailed somebody and said, have coffee with me, please, I will buy you coffee. And they're like, I'm too busy, or they don't respond. And you cold email them and say, I have a podcast that has so many episodes, and I'd really love to talk to you. And they're like, tell me when I'll be there. Like, like, let me look at my calendar. And you can have a really high level conversation with somebody that maybe you admire, maybe you want to learn from, maybe you would otherwise have to pay to have access to. And and because it's a podcast, all of a sudden they get really excited about it. Even if, and you know what? These people never email me after the fact and want to know how many downloads the episode got. They may never talk to me again. The, like the, 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 the conversation was the important part. And after that, they're like, they've moved on. And I just was given as a result of effort, just a little bit of effort, this amazing gift of their time. So I, I mean, I could not recommend highly enough that people look at podcasting as not for the downloads and not for the subscribers and not for the money, but simply as a way to learn and connect. It was absolutely the reason why I've made several connections in this community. And it led to me being a presenter at Chelsea Clark's Brave at Business. And I just, it, it has done a load for me. Uh, however, because I am working on a new site, I launched a new site in January and I'm really focused on it, the podcast. I have given myself permission to take a small hiatus from it, but the plan is to return to producing content on it in April. So I think that maybe half of February and March have been pretty quiet. I think I'll do a solo show just to explain like what happened. And then the plan is to, I've started doing outreach again to find guests for the show. And, um, and yeah, I just plan to, to carry on with it. And it's just been really valuable. I can't recommend it enough. Pretty awesome. And I think the combo of a YouTube channel and the podcast is, is really good because even if someone has a podcast or YouTube channel may not have <laughs> I mean, huge podcasts may have pretty small YouTube channels. Yes. So you literally could say, hey, I'll have you on my YouTube channel. And you may really be much bigger than them on YouTube and they would mm -hmm. gladly talk to you. So yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's really, really awesome. And it's a great way to build your business in a way that you would not expect. I've found also, because I've been doing my show for a couple of years now and it's really hard to get feedback. So thanks for the people that do actually send a note or anything like that. But the way I listen to podcasts, I'm doing stuff. I'm not like right there ready to send an email. It's very hard <laughs> to get the feedback loop, which is positive and negative. The positive is you're not, you know, reading all the comments like we might do on YouTube and then kind of get distracted, pulled off in a weird direction. And you're just kind of producing the content, having conversations and you're a little bit more in a vacuum in, in a good and positive way. So yeah, it's pretty cool. So you're, you're going to be publishing more coming up in April back in the saddle. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. You know, the upside of it is that it's a, it feels like a cool place to take risks. 
because for that reason, you said you don't necessarily see the people who are consuming it and you don't always get the feedback, maybe good or bad, but it feels like you could maybe try something new or different without necessarily seeing, you know, the numbers like unsubscribe, like unsubscribe, you know, it's like I, the talk I did um, at Chelsea's conference was um, why, like the, it was something about the importance of podcasting, especially when nobody is listening. It's because it, it takes you back to the beginning days of YouTube when for me, which were long days, right? Like a year's worth of time when there was nobody watching, you could do whatever you wanted. You could experiment, you could try new things. And now it's like, should I do that? What will people think? What will happen? And there's this more of this anxiety, but then it's just like, publish it, publish it, like send it out. Like the learning process wasn't inhibited by this concern of what people will think. A weird thing is I was recording a show the other day and it still feels like no one's listening, even though a lot of people are listening now. Me, I so, listen. Th thank you. Yeah. It, so it's weird and I have to watch it because now a lot more people are listening and potentially you know, they know what I said now. They know what I said. So I, <laughs> it still it still feels that way because I'm just recording in the same exact way that I was before. And again, it, really hard to get feedback. And typically it's when I have like a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone and then they have a, a minute to tell me that they actually listen all the time. So. Well, one right. thing I always do whenever I do my podcast is, you know, at the end when you hit, you know, Oh, we're done. I ask for feedback from my guests like right away because most of them have been on lots of podcasts or they are also podcasters themselves. And so I've gotten a lot of uh, like, I guess notes, you know, about what to do or things to do differently or questions that worked or didn't that, um, I mean, sometimes we'll end up talking for another hour, right? Like we're done recording and then you just keep talking. And so the goal doesn't stop when the, the, the public, when the recording button turns off. So can you tell us a little about your new site? I know you've mentioned it a couple of times, so I'll give you a few minutes to talk about it and what you're trying to do. Yeah, you know, the the my I'm calling it the Mega site because um you and Spencer have basically cornered the market on the niche site project. So, uh, I can't call it niche site anything. So, um we crowdsourced the name and we're <laughs> it's called the the make the make making the internet great again. Not that the internet was probably ever great, but it's just a, a name, right, that people would recognize. So I know who in my community is working on their Mega site because in their updates we just know. It's like if you know, you know, and if you don't know, then you're confused because M I G A makes no sense whatsoever. But we decided a bunch of us got together and thought, all right, well, it's 2020 has been basically a dumpster fire. Uh, 2021 sounds like a good time to start something new and work together doing it and applying everything that we learned in 2020 because so many people came to this world from scratch because they lost their jobs and decided to start um, new sites. So Morton Storgard over at Passive Income Geek, he launched this course and then um, you know, created some modules about starting a site from scratch, like basically working with me and um, Sean Mars is doing it. Chris um, over at Niche Safari is doing it. And we just, uh, there's, so there's several people who are uh, working on sites from scratch this year. And so I'm just making a video every month about it. And for me, it's just implementing so much of what I have learned, really focused on topical relevancy 
as you know, that was an Achilles heel for me in 2020 with my 2019 site. And so I went through and picked a new niche from scratch and bought a new domain and, and basically making videos so that people could come behind and see, okay, this is what this really looks like because, you know, Guys who are making 20, 30, 40, 50 grand a month, that's awesome. But that their system isn't always replicatable because it involves a lot of money. So I purposefully am not, you know, investing a ton of money in tools or in outsourcing because I want it to be to seem like, okay, well, if I do A, B, C, and D, then potentially I could make this happen too. And that's what I'm working on. So I'm trying to put aside a lot of the other stuff. I'm probably publishing less on YouTube and uh, definitely publishing less on the podcast and definitely working on my other sites less, but I have shiny object syndrome really bad. So I said, okay, I'm just going to work on this one thing. And so far um, I'm what at 90,000 words on the site. And by the end of March, so month three, my hope is to cross a uh, thousand page views a month per month. So I looked at it. So just watching the growth and just I had what 200 page views in February and nothing in January, but to have um, a 1000 page view month in March, I feel pretty good for a site that's three months old. And I got it started with Ezoic through their just start access now program. And so I'm excited about the EPMB is probably settling, going to settle somewhere between 10 and $15, which is not like the upper range, but there's a lot of info content on there. So I'm, I'm hoping that if, if it settles between ten and fifteen dollars, then I can just push a lot of content, a lot of traffic through it, and make it a decent earner with ads and with affiliate stuff. I had my first sale actually last month on the site, which was really cool because you know that first like it was like a whole three dollars, but still it's like proof of concept. This is gonna work, so and I awesome. made my first what five dollars in ads ad revenue. I think almost this month, so it's making like. A quarter between a quarter and 40 cents a day on ads right now so i feel like you know it's month three so not even the end of month three and to have the site already earning and the money i invested was the domain which cost me eight dollars and i just threw it on hosting i already have and then no other investments and i'm almost profitable i think i'm officially profitable this month and yeah just crushing away on the on the content writing it myself and applying what i've learned and i'm really excited about it I, i'm excited to to work on it every day and one more question about that you mentioned focus mm -hmm. do you are you doing anything to help you focus on that site and not get distracted i am not looking at the other one so i'm avoiding looking at the traffic so I'm not looking at Google Analytics on the other sites, I'm not checking necessarily the revenue. I mean, I, I check every now and again to make sure that everything works, but I'm not like going and looking at keywords for that stuff. I'm not working on plans for that stuff. If I log on to WordPress, it's just the one site. And I'm just trying really hard to not let myself go down this road of working on all the other things I could do. Like I create courses on Skillshare and make money over there. And then I have YouTube and then I have another YouTube and then I have the podcast and, you know, outreach takes a lot of time looking for guests and, and scheduling guests. just letting, being kind to myself saying, okay, it is all right. If this other stuff takes a backseat for a little while, while I build this thing, which I, I just have learned so much. It just feels like a great opportunity to see, uh, to prove to myself that I can do this from scratch 
and apply what I have learned. Cause it's not like, I mean, I earn a full-time living online, right? It's not like I haven't done anything that was successful. Just, I want it to be really successful. You know, like I, I want to really hit one out of the park and this is my shot. I'm shooting my shot. <laughs> you got it. All right, Amelia, this has been awesome. Where can people find you? Yeah, go to my YouTube channel. That's the best place. I don't have a, like a hub blog or anything yet, even though people tell me I need to get one here and maybe eventually I will. But Doug's, I'm sure, going to put the links to both of my YouTube channels, the live stream channel and the main channel, and also uh, the link to the podcast, the Fall Forward podcast. You can find me on iTunes and on Stitcher and all the places that you find podcasts. And I promise to start creating more content in April. I'll be back. Thanks a lot for being on. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure as always. Thanks again to Amelia. Be sure to check out her stuff. And it was a long episode, so I'm not going to not going to keep talking here. Let's just finish it up. Do check out some of the other interviews that I've done. I encourage you to check out the archive. And if you're not on the email list, you can go to nichesiteproject.com and click the green button. I send all of my templates and systems and point you towards helpful information. Occasionally, I send some marketing emails, but not too often, not as often as some other uh, email lists that I'm a part of. So anyway, I try not to hammer the list too much. Mile High Fi podcast coming out soon. If you're listening to this far in the future, well, that podcast is probably out already. So go check it out if you're interested in personal finance and financial independence. Have a great day out there. We'll catch you on the next episode.